Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and very pleased today to welcome back to the podcast table, Chris Miller. Chris shared a message from God's Word with our church family just this past weekend, and he's joining us today to spend some focus time, hopefully digging a little deeper into that subject of that sermon, and that's Matthew chapter 24. And Chris, I've got to tell you, my wife Sandy and I, we were talking the other day after your sermon. We Actually, we went on a date. We still do that after 30 plus years. And we both were commenting that for note takers like us, it was hard to keep up. There's just so much in there. Sort of like the proverbial uh, water coming out of a fire hose, mm-hmm. drinking from it. It was a, it was a big, uh, big bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hope, um, Bart, I just hope you got your money's worth. That's all. We, we, got, <laughs> <laughs> we did get our money's worth for sure. And uh, but no, it was great. Just so much in there, and that brings up a point. You know, when you're preaching through scripture like mm-hmm. that, there is the, some. There are some passages you just really can't. It, it's hard to divide it up. It is. It is, and, and, and especially that passage, which is packed with so much Old Testament background, uh, that this is the very last discourse Jesus tells his disciples, and he expected them to know a lot by then. So, we're, we're uh, we, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot, of, a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, and also, Jesus talks about that being the last discourse, or mm-hmm. the beginning of the last discourse. We'll yeah. finish that, I believe, next week That's in right. chapter 25. Uh-huh. But we talk about the first thing that somebody says, the first time we see something in Scripture, mm-hmm. and the last time, those kind of being the, the, often the seminal messages that we hear. Paul, we talk about Second Timothy and so forth. Yeah, absolutely, and especially the last words someone speaks, because these are the last words, uh, the last teaching that Jesus is going to give those disciples. So it's almost like, now, one last thing before I go, and I'll give you this. And they're listening. They're listening. So, okay, so as we get started, a lot there. So I'm going to just ask you to boil down these 51 verses into a big idea statement. What would that be? The big idea statement is what they were expecting, of course, was to was for Clark Kent to reveal himself as the Superman. And Jesus says that will happen exactly as it's been foretold, but it's not going to happen soon. And so, therefore, don't get discouraged and go to sleep. And that's true 2,000 years later. Uh, even more so, because it's the, the more the, the coming seems delayed, the more we tend to go to sleep and not think about it. And it is closer. If it's coming, we know that it's closer by definition. Absolutely. So, okay, Chris, in this chapter, Jesus really, you mentioned it, he burst the disciples' bubble by seemingly pushing uh, his kingdom kickoff, if you will, we can call it that. Mm-hmm. He pushes it back way beyond what they had expected. And, of course, as I said, we're now 2,000 years down the road, almost to the year. We're just a few years short of that 2,000 years, as mm-hmm. we reckon, when Jesus uh, when Jesus ascended into heaven. And we're still awaiting his return. So what would you say has been the biggest change in our understanding of his return between then and now, these 2,000 years past? I don't know. I mean, obviously, the scripture has not changed. Uh, I suppose um, we've gotten a, a better understanding of how uh, much we need a Savior with world wars and all the false hopes and dreams of the industrial age and medicines, thinking we could solve the problems ourselves. Obviously, even today, we can't solve the problems ourselves. Wars, rumors of wars continue, and it just makes us cry out all the more, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so I think of the term social engineering Mm -hmm. and people talking about how we can get better. And 
humanity is continually evolving mm-hmm. socially, mm-hmm. and we hear these from our sociolo- many sociologists, uh, hopefully not biblical sociologists, but <laughs> we hear that talk, to speak to that, speak to the the evolution of our social structures and how will they ever produce what. Uh, you know what the sociologists say, and that is a more of a utopian society or more of a, a, a cohesive, uh, loving band of people. Yeah, I think I think there are times when it appears that way on the surface, where depending upon how you measure progress, it looks like we're getting better. But the trouble is, it's all built on the foundation of a sinful heart. And if you can deny the fact that we are sinful people, then maybe you can make some progress. But as long as that's the base problem. We're never going to get much farther than Babel, and it's going to crumble every time. And we're experiencing the effects of that all the time here in our society. And, and that brings up another point. You and I were talking before we went on the microphone uh, here, well, even earlier than today, and that is that sometimes our doctrine, we, we sometimes have to uh, realize that maybe our doctrine is wrong. We Churches like ours experienced this maybe about, what, 100, 110, 120 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the churches would have thought a certain way about Jesus' return, and then something happened in about 1914 to 1917, 1918. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> that, that was you know the, the, the beginning of the end, I suppose, in the hopes for modernism and for, for uh, us figuring things out and getting better. Yeah, uh, war will do that. World War One and World War Two, <laughs> it will change your world. Your understanding. Well, so you and I remember the 1970s, the 1980s, the 1990s. You probably remember the 70s just a little bit better than I do. No, thanks, uh, Mark. Being a couple years yeah. older, but it, it seemed then that every Bible conference you go to focused in some way on the end times. Yeah. Now. I can barely remember that period uh, that gave us the Thief in the Night motion picture series. There mm-hmm. were four of those. I looked that up on Wikipedia yesterday just to make sure I knew what it was. <laughs> but it gave us that Thief in the Night motion, period, uh, motion picture series, Left Behind book series, yes. and the Left Behind motion yep. picture, uh, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, mm-hmm. and probably some theology that we might want to reconsider. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all maybe perfect theology, but we seem to have moved away from those focuses over the past couple of decades that focus on the calendar of events. Mm -hmm. Is that a good move away or is it a bad move away in your opinion? Yeah, yes and no. It's like a pendulum swing because before 1948, there were a lot of people who believed there was a future for Israel, but it was hard to convince anybody else in the theological and, and the rest of the world because Israel had been kicked out of their land in you know 135 AD and never let back in until 1948. So it sure looked, if you just looked at, at the history and sociology, it looked like God had abandoned the people of Israel. So when Israel becomes a state again in 1948 and they win their war in 1967, the Six-Day War, the Miracle War, um, it begins to look from outsiders like, oh, maybe God does have a plan for Israel. So with that enthusiasm, there was a whole lot of popular fiction and and scholarly works written, and I think it kind of wore us out. I think the pendulum swung so far one way that unfortunately now, I think that most people shy away from eschatology and prophecy, and in fact, a lot of people are embarrassed by it. And I think that's wrong too. We don't want to be on either end of that pendulum. We want to be what we want to be about what God teaches, and so that's why when we come to Matthew twenty-four, we don't just kind of skip over that. We we dig into it like we did in church on Sunday, and I think that's the godly, God honoring thing to do. 
And it was interesting. We did dig into it, but we dug into it a different way. Uh, you had you had a couple charts up there. You mm-hmm. referenced uh, uh, when we believe certain events will occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that you didn't mention a rapture. Yep. We we talk about a rapture pretty regularly in our church and church circles. You didn't mention a rapture. I didn't mention rapture because I, I don't think the rapture is something that Jesus was talking about at that point. Because the rapture is something that, that uniquely applies to the church, which in the progress of Revelation is not fully revealed until Paul, as Paul says in Ephesians three. Uh, but I think also the reason I didn't mention that is because that what well, you were talking about, there were some emphases in, in the 70s and 80s that we shouldn't have had, and that is a focus on the strict chronology. When's it going to happen? Mm-hmm. And what what's, uh, is really ironic about that passage in Matthew 24 is that that's exactly the question that the disciples ask. When will these things be? And so what Jesus did was he gave them a little bit of a timeline but he didn't really give them, give them enough detail to mark their calendars. And, and what he does at the end of 24, and especially 25, is say, now, guys, it doesn't really matter exactly when. In fact, I don't even know when. So don't worry about that, but be ready. So the focus on all those things is not trying to lay out a date and say, well, it's going to be 1988 or 2027 or what. No, no, it's, it's stay awake all the time because that's the focus that we were probably missing in some of the 70s and 80s that, that, and that we should have had and we ought to keep in a healthy biblical way now. Interesting. And Chris, it strikes me as we're sitting here talking, we're talking about rapture, we're talking about uh, maybe a post-millennial or a pre-millennial view of Scripture. Mm-hmm. It strikes me that there are some people probably listening right now and saying, this is a totally foreign language. As you said, yes. people are not studying it in the same way we saw back 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, maybe you can do it right now, maybe you want to think about it here for later here in this episode, and that is, what are some uh, some materials or books, perhaps, that people could go to to get a better understanding of what is going on? You want, If you want to hold on that, we can think about that during our time together, that's fine, but I, I didn't prime you for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I haven't delved in those works lately, so I don't know what the best recent works are. Uh, I know that uh, a Dallas Seminary graduate and a Cedarville graduate, uh, David Jeremiah, has done an awful lot of writing on the yes, end times. Has. And good stuff. And continues to do so. So I would, uh, I haven't read all that, but that's probably a pretty good place to start. Turning Point Ministries yes. in California yeah. has done a great job. He has. Grew up right here in Cedarville. He, he has. Uh, and he did. And uh yeah, that, that's a good place to start. Because, okay, because, as Daniel said, let me just repeat that phrase one more time that, re, that Daniel repeats four times. That is, let the reader understand. That is, you can understand this, and, and we should too. We should, and we need to. We should strive to do mm-hmm. that. So, and, and before we go to this next topic, again, I want to um, camp here for just a moment, and that is Grace Baptist Church, about 15 years ago, mm-hmm. we did something that, to my knowledge, the church had never done before. In fact, I'm pretty sure it had, and that is we ordered doctrinal issues mm-hmm. we had a constitutional revision and we said these are the things that you need to understand in order to join our church and essentially these are the things you need to understand in mm-hmm. order to have a relationship with Christ right and be a saved person saved mm-hmm. from eternal damnation this next area of doctrines are doctrines and by the way, the doctrine eschatology in times mm-hmm. was in this second group, and that is yes. uh, these are the doctrines that we believe, and these are teaching points, these are our historical distinctives, but we don't hold these as tightly as we do this 
first tier of doctrines. Can you explain a little bit what was going on there? Yeah, absolutely. Why, we, we, why did we do that? We love to call Grace Baptist Church our church, and I think that's a good, healthy thing. On the other hand, it really does belong to Jesus, and that's not just a semantic point. The point is this is his church. And so any any child of God ought to be able to be a member here. So that's why we decided, even though we have certain distinctives that we believe in, we wanted to make sure that the essentials were things which every child of God could affirm. Then the extra things or the, the what do we call them? We don't call them secondary things. Historical distinctives? Call, uh, teaching teaching points, points, whatever they are. These are things we firmly believe, but we realize that there have been good people, scholars, laymen, who had different views, who were still saved. So what we want to say is, here's what we're going to teach so that when you come here, you won't be too surprised by that. We'd really appreciate it if you didn't, you know, cause a fuss about it. <laughs> so it's, it's an idea of we want everyone who's a believer to be able to be a part of this church, and here's who we are, and here's what we teach so that you're not surprised by what you're getting into. And I thought when we did that, uh, and I was kind of engaged in that to a, a large level, but I think, I think it was a good thing, and I think it was a, a humble approach Mm-hmm. recognizing, hey, we're all growing. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked my adult Bible fellowship the other day when I was teaching on Sunday, I said, how many of you have changed in a doctrinal view right. recently right. or over the past 20, 30 years? Mm-hmm. And my point was, if you haven't grown in mm-hmm. your understanding of something, maybe it wasn't a drastic change, maybe it was just a better understanding, but sometimes a, a big change is in order because after all, we are flawed. Mm-hmm. We are finite human beings. And hopefully as we grow, we learn more and can say, yeah, I didn't have that just right. Exactly. We, we all ought to be growing. But let, let me say this as, as I think about the, the prophecy here in eschatology, because again, some people, we don't hear about it very often, therefore we feel it's tangential. But for me, eschatology starts in Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis 49, and Daniel 2, and 7, and 11, and 9, and goes up to what what Jesus talks about in Matthew. I see it in Acts, I see it in Ephesians, I see it in Thessalonians, I see it in Revelation. So if I'm going to accept a position here as as an elder who is apt to teach and who gets up to teach, I can't just ignore this topic. I, I have to speak to it wherever it shows up, and if I can't speak clearly according to my conscience, then I shouldn't be an elder at a place like this. And what you just said, this is why we regularly teach through books of the Bible, right? so that we're not leaving anything out. We've Mm -hmm. got to hit on it. If it's there, uh, we've got to hit on it. Right. If we want to stay balanced. (laughs) Do what God, yeah, read it the way God intended us to read it. Well, you mentioned a series of books of the Bible that are very, uh, very full of information and challenges about the end times. Mm-hmm. One of those is First Thessalonians. And again, as I was preparing to teach this past week, I immediately went to First Thessalonians as one of those books that's kind of a parallel to here in Matthew chapter 24 and specifically in mm-hmm. chapters 4 and 5 of First Thessalonians. So Paul here, is, he is encouraging the church written probably about 20 years or so after uh, Jesus' ascension. Mm -hmm. And he's encouraging the church in much the same way that Jesus talked with the disciples there in Matthew 24. Now, as I share several of these imperatives that Paul gives the believers there in uh, Thessalonica, give me some commentary on what Paul's saying here. Mm -hmm. He says in verse 6, for example, of chapter 5, Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. Mm. Uh, those are words taken right out of Jesus' discourse, um, and that idea of not sleeping. At first, it made me stumble a little bit because I thought, well, who in the world can not sleep? But of course, <laughs> it is it is a metaphor not to get spiritually drowsy, not not to go to sleep, but to keep your wits about you, discern 
how you're thinking about life, this life, and Jesus' return, and how that impacts it. So, uh, if if we if we if we forget to talk about sin coming, we've gone to sleep on it. Verse eight, and it's picking up on a, uh, a a note that Paul tags on there in the latter part of verse six, and he says, "And be sober." In verse six, and then he says again in verse eight, "Let us be sober." Mm-hmm. What's the idea of soberness? Mm-hmm. Have to do with this? Mm-hmm. I think the same thing. Sleep or or drunk, either way, you're not in your right mind. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking carefully because um, in, in battle, I've never had that experience, but I can imagine that in battle, you go to sleep. What happens? <laughs> not, not nothing good. Not nothing, nothing good. good. Nothing good. And that, that's where we've been since uh, Satan tempted Adam and Eve. We've been in a battle. Peter uses this word in in chapter five of First Peter, and he he adds something to it: be sober, be vigilant. vigilant. Mm-hmm. And I think those go hand mm-hmm. in hand, don't they? Mm-hmm. Soberness, vigilance, mm-hmm. circumspect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Head yeah. on a swivel. Yeah. Verse eight: having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for helmet, the hope of salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hope, hope is so, so necessary. Uh, I, I, I thought about saying this in the sermon, but it came to my mind as we were talking before. That's why we have a podcast. Yeah, I know, I know, but it, I, 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 I hesitate to even say it because I probably won't get it right. So, uh, so just take this with a grain of salt. But I heard about an experiment of uh, rats who, who scientists put in a, in a tub and uh, there was too much water for them, and they swam for about 15 minutes um, and died. Then they put another group in the water, and after about 10 minutes, put a little walkway stick in there so they could save themselves. The next time he took those groups who survived and put them in the water, they swam for 45 hours or something like that. Mm. Why? Because they had hope that there was going to be a way out. Fascinating. And apart from that, you just, and I think that's, that, without that experiment, is absolutely true. I know it resonates in my heart. Because if I have no hope, I just give up. It's easy to do. It is easy to do. But if I know there's hope out there, I can stick with it. There's light at the end of the tunnel, as we often say. And let's face it, that doesn't only go speak to Jesus' return. That speaks to hope when your children aren't mm-hmm. turning out the way you think, mm-hmm. your marriage, mm-hmm. your job, mm-hmm. just your life in general. Mm-hmm. We have hope in Christ. Mm-hmm. It's worth keeping on. Yeah, for sure. Transferable and, concepts. And, you know, to, we talked about all those different kinds of approaches to end times and eschatology. What everybody agrees on is Jesus wins. And that's <laughs> and that's the key, isn't it? I mean, the old joke, I'm not a pre-tribulator, pre-millennialist. I'm not a post-millennialist. I'm not an amillennialist. I'm a... Pan-millennialist because it's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, that is true. Yeah, that is I, true. I love that joke. It's so true. And, and getting back to this verse 8, having put on... There is something we have to do, and that is, is it not continuing to put on? And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm no Greek scholar, but I'm thinking that that, I know in other places, in Paul's writing there in Ephesians chapter 6, mm-hmm. as I understand it, this is a something we have to do. Sandy and I have done this at home before. Have you put on today? Mm-hmm. Meaning, get up, I put on my socks, mm-hmm. I put on my shoes, I put on other articles of clothing, i got to put on that armor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and be ready for the battle. Yeah. Um, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. Yeah. R- remind each other of these things. Uh, this is what making disciples is all about. If we're going to become disciples, this is how Jesus disciples them by giving them hope and tells them to make other disciples by giving them hope and encouragement. 
The church wasn't just an afterthought in God's plan, was it? No, no, it's always been the point. <laughs> Chris, a key to understanding Scripture, we, we, we talk about this here at church. I'm sure you've talked about this as you're teaching students uh, for the past X number of <clears throat> decades. Uh-huh. But the fact is, context is king. Uh-huh. Okay, And so we, we say if you're teaching Scripture or reading Scripture, understand what's going on in the other Scripture passages around it and parallel passages and so forth. But... <clears throat> With that verse 8 statement there in First Thessalonians 5 about the breastplate, the helmet, Paul is clearly alluding to something, as I referenced, he's, he's talked about a lot, or he talks about a lot more uh, fully in chapter 6 of Ephesians. And, and he's alluding to warfare that's mm-hmm. going on around us, and in which we actually have a major part. I mean, we're called to be good soldiers. Can you talk about that dynamic? So when a person is hearing about this idea of Jesus returning and here uh, Paul is saying in First Thessalonians 5 put on the faith put on the helmet of salvation and so forth can you talk about that dynamic of awaiting Christ's return while being engaged in the spiritual warfare I think uh, knowing that, that he is coming back is a major part of the war- warfare because if you're, if you're not focused in on that or keyed in on that um, you're tempted to just drift with the current or go to sleep or be drunk with the times, and and follow right along. Um, am I getting at what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it, it, one of the things that uh, you and I have talked about before, and that is that this idea of warfare, it's more than just an allegory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, 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 it is watching the news and reading it correctly, hearing it correctly. So many thousands of examples I suppose we could give. Uh, a lot of people are very, very interested in, in their politics. And if that's all we listen to, then we might begin to think that the solution is ultimately found there. Right. And the warfare we're engaged in is just as real as the bombs dropping on Ukraine and yeah. Kiev right now. Yeah. And as we record this in early 2022. Mm-hmm. And if all we do is shop on Amazon, we begin to think that the goal of life is to accumulate stuff. <laughs> Well, Chris, as we prepare to close, I'd like to talk briefly about an opportunity that came your way some time ago and how that opportunity has blessed you. And I can say with certainty that Mm -hmm. it's blessed many here at Grace. Uh, Mm -hmm. Even every week, every Thursday, I receive an email from the office here at the the church. And one of the attachments to that email is the next chapter in something you've been working on. Can you tell us what's been going on and just share with people who may not know what you've been doing the past four years? Yeah, a a good friend of mine who's a president of a seminary, small seminary in the East Coast, uh, determined it would be a good idea in these times. It's been a while since we've had a good commentary series written from this perspective. Uh, Not that eschatology is everything, but the whole idea we talked about from Genesis to Thessalonians to Revelation, that God does have a big plan. He's working out in Israel and the church are part of it, and that uh, God hasn't given up on Israel at all. Uh, so he asked me to write a commentary on the book of Matthew for lay people and for pastors in the church. Um, and he said, uh, think of this as the kind of information you'd give out when when you preach to your congregation. I thought, well, I, I, I would love to do that. So yeah, finished that about a, a year ago and uh, hope, hope that it comes out by the end of this year. Very good. And those uh, will make people aware of when that's available. Yeah. And they can order it on Amazon, maybe. I think I think so. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to add? Any uh, remaining thoughts in your mind? Mm, no, it's just uh, it's just good to think through how the scripture fits so well. 
And just the way Jesus used Daniel chapter 9, again, I, I hope I did it justice and made it clear as I could for the audience that we had, but Jesus expected them to know Daniel 9. And so that's why he could just allude to it in subtle ways and bring it back. But, but what's really interesting to me is that only Daniel chapter 9 talks about the destruction of the temple. Jesus didn't go on to answer that. But you'll notice in the very beginning, the whole thing that precipitated it was, not one we'll stone will be turned down and will left on another. And they said, when will these things be? And so he didn't answer it in his words, but he said, let me take you back to Daniel 9, and you'll know where it should be from Daniel 9. So all of that, Jesus obviously knows his Old Testament well, expects his disciples to know it well, and the way the whole thing fits together. Again, just an amazing statement to me of inspiration of how one capital A Holy Spirit author put the whole thing together. Powerful stuff, and yeah. we'll continue here in Chapter 25 this coming week. Yeah. Amen. Great. Chris, thanks for being with us. Great to have you. Thanks, Bart. Chris Miller's been my guest on this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace, and we've been discussing his recent sermon from Matthew Chapter 24. You can access Chris's message as well as other Grace Baptist Church sermons and podcast episodes on your favorite podcast app or by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking podcast on the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next week as we continue our discussion of God's Word in Matthew chapter 25. Until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.